Well, if you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews and chapter 11, I know today you can have your phone on, in a big Bible, little Bible, or you can have it on an iPhone or iWatch or what do they call that, the Apple Watch now, <laughs> or you can just look at it on the screen. So we have the, the scripture up there for you. And the follow through will be starting a new series that uh, you can see, uh, Moving Mountains, the Extraordinary Life of Faith. My prayer each week is that God's Word intersects your life in practical, relevant ways, Um, not just that you hear good words and encouraging words from another man, but that you come to see it from God. You see what He says to you because His words are different than my words. His words are authoritative and they're true and they're life-changing and they're good. And uh, I hope that over time that God gives you a great love for His Word. Now there are a lot of mountains in the world and there's one mountain that's particularly uh, interesting to me and you may recognize this mountain. Uh, I don't know who here could call that out, the name of this mountain. Everest? Okay, someone else. What is it? Fuji. Okay, Mount Fuji, Mount Fujiyama in Japan. Say, why did I start with this? Well, we're going to talk about moving mountains and uh, not going to particularly be moving that one, but uh, I have this stick. Some people are wondering why I brought this stick, but um, on this stick, it says 1968 Fuji. And uh, it's stamped um, with the various stations of Mount Fujiyama. When I was 11 years old, and that's, that's more than 20 years ago now, um, <laughs> if you think about that, uh, my dad and I, my dad was stationed in Kamaseya, Japan, in the United States Navy, and uh, he took me on this pilgrimage. And it is a pilgrimage. It takes two days <clears throat> to hike, and uh, you start off, they give you a stick, <clears throat> and uh, every station that you hike to, you'll stop, have a resting point, and they'll do a brand or a stamp on this stick. And I think there are probably 40 stations uh, that you go through. So we hike that mountain. I'm, I'm a young boy. I think this is just a great <clears throat> adventure. And uh, so the strategic plan is to go to the, this station, to the next station. And for the Japanese, it's a spiritual pilgrimage. Uh, They say everyone has to climb uh, Fuji once. You're a fool if you do it twice. (laughs) I've climbed it once. And uh, it would be fun, I think, to take take your son or your grandson, granddaughter uh, up Fujiyama. But I thought of that event, climbing with my dad, which was a a great experience. We'd hike and we'd stop. And every time you'd stop at a station, there's a sense of accomplishment. You know, there's a, you would go to the next place, and they stamp it in the next place. And then we spent the night in this building that was like rice paper walls, and the wind would blow them, and we were sleeping like sardines with, it seemed like, hundreds and hundreds of Japanese people all lined up, and uh, very tough to get up and go to the bathroom at night. But uh, so we slept, tried to sleep that night, got up, finished the second day climbing up to the very top of Mount Fujiyama. And so that's a... A memory for me of accomplishing something. We we got to the top of the mountain, and I think if you've ever done anything in life where you set a goal and then you're able to accomplish that goal, there's a great sense of satisfaction. 
But I thought there are, there are some mountains in life that we cannot conquer and we cannot strategically plan our way through this. They're mountains of your health or relationships or family, mountains with things that you just cannot control, and they overwhelm you. <clears throat> and you stand there and you look. You look at that mountain and you think, this is impossible. And yet God knows that. And I think God in His great love for you allows you to stand there and look at whatever particular mountain that is in front of you and have a desire for you to come to know Him in a personal and intimate way. And it doesn't take great faith. It's not like, well, I just need to keep on working to get this great faith. You know what Jesus says in Matthew 17? This is a, a familiar passage, and I'll just, I'll just read it to you. And they were asking why they couldn't, the disciples that were following Jesus were asking him, you know, why couldn't we cast out these demons? And Jesus said this, he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it's a very small seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And listen to this last statement, nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. How many times in your life have you faced something that you feel is just impossible? You've exhausted all your resources, you've worked all your plans, and it's not going to happen. And when Jesus says this, he's saying that nothing will be impossible for you if you learn to live by faith. And it's not one of these things that you got to go through all this schooling and education and go off to college and seminary. No, no, he's saying a little faith. In fact, in other places when he's teaching, he describes it, if you have the faith like a little child, simple, simple faith, and learn to live that way, God will do extraordinary things. God will do impossible things. And that brings us to our text and passage that we'll be looking at here in a little bit in Hebrews 11. But the first thing I want us to, to consider is the call to faith. The call to live by faith is not easy. The whole Christian life, and even before Christ came into this world, God's people were called to believe Him. That's what we call faith, to live by faith. And living by faith is not an easy thing. It didn't just start with the teaching of Jesus. If you go back to the Old Testament, you, you hear the prophets say, the just shall live by faith. We come into the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. God has always been pleased by faith. Let's look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. This is a, this is a very well-known verse for a lot of people, but to me, when you get fresh eyes on it, 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 it really makes you stop to consider. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what is that saying? He said, you're not going to please God by your works. You're not going to please God by your performance. And I honestly think that a lot of our churches, we get into this a performance-based mentality. Are you with me? Or image management. You know, if I manage my image, if I look good, okay, if I look good, and if I do all the right things, God's going to be pleased. And that's not true. And I think when you start chasing that, it just leads to incredible frustration, not only for you personally, but it leads to incredible frustration for everyone else around you. Because if I'm concerned about polishing my image and making you think well of me and just doing, doing, doing all of the right things, I'm traveling the wrong path. Faith is the way that we live. And that's what he is saying here. If I were to describe all of the religions of the world and all the ways to God and all the, the systems and isms out there today, they could all be described as systems to do. In other words, this is what you have to do. Okay, if you become a part of our club, this is what you do. If you become part of our religion, this is what you do. And Christianity can be better defined with this word, done. Okay, done. Not do, but done. It is that Jesus Christ has loved you. He has died on the cross he was buried, he rose again, and he offers to you eternal life. There is nothing you do for that but believe. And believe is another name uh, uh, synonymous with faith. And you say, well, but are you telling me, because I think we, we can get into this argument, are you telling me that we, we, don't, have, uh, we don't have to have good works? There, there are no good works involved in Christianity? And I think that people will really struggle with that. And... Um, and I would say, yes, good works are a part of Christianity, but they flow out of faith. They don't bring faith. They flow out of faith. So if I believe God, then I live according to my belief. And, and isn't that true? That, that whatever we are really believing, that's how we're going to practically function. And I could say it this way, probably the best way, that real, genuine, authentic faith is following Jesus. I think it was the last couple Sundays I talked about those words that Jesus said along the seaside. He said, follow me. Well, that's pretty loaded. What does it mean to follow him? Well, you have to trust him. You have to, you're going to get up and follow him? You've got to believe in him. And that's what real faith is, is following Jesus. Following Jesus is a call to faith. So the call to faith is not easy. Secondly, the nature of faith. How would you describe faith or define faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it, it gives a, a description of what really faith is. The writer says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we do, what we do not see. Another translation says, evidence of the unseen. It is the evidence of the unseen. So you can't see it. I could say, God, okay, God, where is God? Okay, do you see God here? Do you see Jesus? Do you see creation? Do you see the end times when 
It says the trumpet's going to sound and all things are going to be brought in, in front of him. And, I can, and that's what makes it hard. Now, if you can see it, then that's not faith. <laughs> so I like to say, I would like a faith that I could see. <laughs> well, wouldn't we all? But we're called to believe in his words and what he says to us without having really seen it. Now, someday we'll see it and we'll look back. Oh, I've seen that. In fact, in the previous chapter, he, he says it this way. The writer says, the law or the scriptures is only a shadow of good things that are coming. So a shadow, you see a shadow, but that's not the reality, okay? The shadow is, you can't hold the shadow. My wife went back east to see our most recent grandchild, Eliana. I always fit these grandkid things in here, don't I? I just find this way. So she brought back pictures. And, I mean, I love looking at those pictures. But the picture is not the reality. It's not the same as kissing her little face, <laughs> not as getting to hold her. Uh, if you ever watched Star Trek, remember the hologram? You know, is that a real person or is that a hologram? <laughs> Uh, and, and so there are many shadows of things to come. But the reality, and this is what the New Testament, the reality of all the things that were being said come in Christ. He is the reality. And now that He rose again and ascended into heaven, His physical presence is in heaven. His spiritual presence is here. Okay, the Holy Spirit he says that when I go to heaven, I will give my spirit. And his spirit takes up residence in our lives. But you can't see it. You know, you look in the mirror, you just see, a, you, see you. <laughs> so this is really hard. Because the problem, the problem for us is this, is that our, our issues and impossibilities and our mountains are real and visible and we see them and we feel them. But God's presence, I don't see, and sometimes I don't feel. So you say, well, you mean you just have to take him at his word? <laughs> that's, that's the hard part. And that's why we're going to get to this point that the more you have his word dominating your life, the more you're going to see. And, and he, Hebrews chapter 11, all the way through, is going to show evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence of the unseen. Now I don't know for you what this past year or even today is hard to believe about God. But there are some things that are hard to believe because of the circumstances that we're in. We have certain thoughts and ideas. And, and if you get down to it, everybody has to believe something. We call, we call this... Uh, presupposition. So I presuppose. I presuppose. For example, if I presuppose that there is a God, okay, then everything's going to flow from that. Like I believe, then, then probably God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if I presuppose there is no God, then I'm going to have to come up with something else. So you'll have someone that says, no God, and we follow a, a big bang theory, which no one saw that happen. But if I believe in God, 
I believe in creation, that he created the heavens and the earth, but no one saw that happen either. So you have to believe something. So the question comes back, who has the evidence? <laughs> what is the evidence? And this is what we talk about, the evidence of things that are unseen. The third uh, point that I'd like to make is the basis of our faith. How do we say what would be the, the point that I would rest what I believe upon? And if we go back to the, the first chapter of Hebrews, and I hate this by way of introduction, so I'm jumping around more than I normally do. But the very first three verses of, of Hebrews to me are incredible verses. And I know that's a, a lot on one screen. You're probably looking, he's got a lot of words up there on that one screen. But I thought, I don't want to split it up. And I want you to see something because this, to me, is just incredible. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by, the, by his powerful word. Now, when you, when you look at that, that I mean, that's, a, lo, that's a, a lot. That is just a very dense uh, couple of verses. But I want to point out something here. First of all, when it talks about God has spoken in a lot of different ways. You know, miracles and signs and audible voices. And, you know, we see that all through history. But in this day, he has chosen to speak through his son. And he, he really shows that Jesus is God because it says he is the radiance of God's glory. And God doesn't give his glory to anyone else. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of himself. And then you're going to see, you know, three descriptions. One, he's creator. When he says he made the universe, they say, who made it? Jesus made the universe. He's the sustainer of all things. And then finally, he's the heir of all things. Everything will be coming into him. So he is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all life and is the heir of all things. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Christ is the centrality of our faith. And what I think is so, this helps us bring it down to the high and lofty theology to, and I know you're looking for something relevant here, because <laughs> I'm always trying to get my, get my teeth into this, because we've got all this theology. But he says, by his powerful word, by his powerful word. And God has given us the gift of his word. You know, and I don't know if you realize what a gift that is. Because this word helps build your faith. In fact, in Romans, the Apostle Paul said, says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The psalmist said, thy word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light unto my path. So when I think of this, that, that God has given us his word that is truth, and it gives us more and more evidence of that truth, I come back to it time and time again. And I think of a few companions that he gives. It's not just that God, God says, okay, okay, here's a Bible. 
here's your Bible. And so someone grabs the Bible and says, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> but he gives some companions to you with his word, his powerful word that builds your faith. And faith moves mountains. And faith gets you through your troubles. He gives you his powerful word. He also gives you his spirit. And what's amazing is that God, the creator of all the earth, has his spirit, who is God, living in you. If you believe upon him and trust in him, he lives in you and he teaches you and helps you understand and he helps you. Another companion to this is prayer. I'm not figuring it out. I don't know what to say. I can talk to God. And I, I love the, the, the passages that say that even when I don't know what to say, the Spirit will make groanings for me. <laughs> In other words, He can express for me. So I have God given to me His Spirit to help me understand. I have prayer. I can talk to God about it. I can, I can express my frustration. And the third thing, God gives us community. He gives us fellow believers. That is a very, very important part of the development of your faith. And so we go back to chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 here in Hebrews, and he'll say, don't forsake getting together. He said, you need to get together. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody has to be in the church building, because the church building isn't the church. The church uh, is actually, I think I told you this before, is a Germanic word that uh, was picked up by translators, and, and it means building, but the word ecclesia in the New Testament does not mean building. It, mean, it means community of people. In fact, I was talking to David Allen Black a couple of weeks ago. He's a, a Greek scholar, and he said, if we could translate the word church, the best way to translate it is community. I thought, well, great, now we have valley community community. <laughs> but, uh, but you get the idea that this building uh, we're in a music center right now, but that, it's not the church. And what happens is when you start thinking that it's a building, you miss out. But the church helps you grow because believers edify, encourage, help, pray for one another. That's why we have these small groups and so forth. And so God has given His, His powerful Word to help you grow in your faith. When you stand before one of those mountains, you say, you know what, I can't just get a stick and climb up the top of this. I'm not going to get through it. His powerful word gives you the faith to be able to move that mountain. My prayer is that God would give you a love for His word like you've never had before. A word-filled life. So, finally, the story of faith. And this is really, I'm not going to go through any of these this morning. But in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we have all these stories. And they're incredible stories of, of real people who've lived in the past that found out this to be true. <laughs> I love reading biographies because I, I see real people going through real problems and how they did it. And we, we get insight in Hebrews chapter 11, the evidence of God being true to what he has said. We're all humans. In fact, none of these people that are listed here as what we call heroes of the faith are perfect. They faltered, they stumbled. In fact, you know, when you take a man like David and you say, David was a man after God's own heart. That's true, but he had his problems, didn't he? We all do. So none of these people had perfect faith, but it grew and God perfectly brought everything to pass for them and rewarded them for believing in him. That was the end result. 
And, and my challenge to you is God is writing another story. And it's a story of your life. Every one of you here today, God is writing a story. And the same thing from the very beginning of time, live by faith. For all of these people in Hebrews, live by faith. And for you, live by faith. But the problem is we get tested. <laughs> and it's hard to believe. And you know, I look back, and for Diane and me, we look back when we first got married, some of the steps of faith that we were taking, you think, well, once I learn that, I'm good. And it's harder now. Well, I was talking to my dad, and my dad's in his 80s now, and he said, you know, son, it's harder now than it was when I was your age. I thought, well, that's really encouraging. <laughs> but for children here, teens here, young families here, uh, for those of us who have been around a little longer, there are new tests, new challenges. And you're going to say, I don't see it and I don't feel it, but I'm going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it perfectly, but I'm going to believe it. Now, when God's writing a story or writing a story of your life, um, What's got to be in a good story? We've talked about this, I think, before. What makes a good story? And I always say a great ending. Because you want a good ending to have a good story. I would say interesting characters. You know, the, the character development in the story. You want to have people that are interesting. And, and you're interesting. That you are. You want a plot. You want this to go somewhere. Have you ever watched a movie that just doesn't go anywhere and then it's done? <laughs> Or what my wife hates the worst is we watch a movie and everyone dies. <laughs> and uh, not a good ending. But to have a really good movie, you have to have tension. Tension and resolution. We don't like the tension. We don't like the crisis. But as God writes your story, there is tension that is, that is going to come into your life. And... That tension, it almost like it puts your life on center stage. They say, well, there are not many people watching me. Oh, yes, there are people watching you. People all over this community are watching you. Because when, when you have heartache and discouragement and the loss of your possessions and, and death in your family and incurable diseases and all the things that they face, they watch how you respond. And it's like Christ, Christians are like a, on a platform of... Of, of God's grace. And He's going to do amazing things. Not that He just cures everything all at once, but He gives you strength to walk through that and to point people to Him and to eternity. Usually I study all week. I start usually on Sunday afternoon for the next week, and, and I always pray that God would help work first in my life, these things, before I say anything to anybody else. When Saturday comes around, I get my outline done, and I send my PowerPoint to, to Tim or to Gary. And then typically I'll, something else will happen, but I can't add it to my PowerPoint. <laughs> so this isn't on my PowerPoint. But I'll just tell you something that was really sweet last night. I was, uh, after I'd always set all this in, prepare my message, uh, I was talking to my daughter, uh, Sarah, and Josh, they live in Phoenix, 
and they've got three kids, and I'm just talking to her, and she, she said, Dad, you know, I've been going through some things and challenges, and she said, I was reading in Hebrews 10. I'm thinking, I never told her I was going to preach on this. I mean, we didn't even talk about that. She said, I was, I was reading in Hebrews 10, and verse 35 was just such a blessing to me. And I, she, she didn't tell me what it was, so I, I, I went, after I hung up, I went over and looked at this. And it says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So do not throw away your confidence. It will richly be rewarded. I thought, wow, here's my daughter telling me that. I'm thinking, that's what we need. Where's your confidence? It's not in your ability. It's not in anybody in this world. It's in God. That's faith. It will be richly rewarded. And I know you don't feel like it. I know you're not seeing it. I always say this. I don't, I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. But it says it there. And he says it. And all through history, he's proven it true every time. He's proven it true every time. And my challenge is for you to look at these words and look at the examples when you face your mountain and believe and believe. That's our prayer, that God would help us move mountains and live an extraordinary life of faith and that we would grow in our relationship to Him. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how in, in every way it gives us what we need. And even though we read the words and we, we see the examples in history, we still feel the struggle and the pain and the difficulty to believe it for now, for the present. And I pray that you would help us to trust you. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we'll dismiss in just a moment, why don't you just ask the Lord to help you with your mountain, with your struggle today. Say, Lord, help me to be in your word, to read these promises, to read these stories, because that's going to encourage you. The more you're in the Word, the more your faith is going to grow. And it's not so much like reading a bunch of chapters, but stopping and thinking about it. Did you know that uh, Ryan and Rachel had a little, little girl just the other day? And uh, they named, them, named her Selah. Do you ever seem to see the word Selah in the Bible? If you're reading in Psalms, it always says Selah, Selah, Selah. So why did they name him? And the word Selah means stop and think about it. I think I should have named all my kids that. <laughs> stop and think about it. Stop, pause, think about it. I thought that'd be a great lesson for us today to leave with that word. As you hear God's promise, stop and think about it. It's good. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for all that you give us, for loving us so faithfully. Help us to treasure those words and joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen.